The Blockbusters Podcast is a proud member of the Pod Bros Network, where you can find us as well as other excellent podcasts such as Sarcasm City, Worst Millennials, and Late Night Gamers at podbros.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of the Blockbusters Podcast. Tonight's story is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. Today we are canceling the apocalypse! Wait a minute, wait a minute, you ain't heard nothing yet. And uh, this is? Lilu Dallas Multipass. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Houston, we have a problem. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room. Now, where was I? Welcome to episode 106 of Blokebusters. I am Paul, and Brian is still away, sadly, but uh, hey, don't worry about that. Um, today I have got with me a guest who, in order to talk about Director's Cut, I figured, hey, why not have someone that has technically been in it? Uh, so, <laughs> so yes, I have with me associate producer, fellow crowdfunder, and technically actor, Bob Lawler. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Um, so, yes, uh, let's just get nuts and bolts out of the way real quick and then we can dive straight into it uh, if you want to get a hold of us about anything from previous episodes or this episode or any further episodes we're on twitter facebook and instagram and vero just search blokebusters you can email us at theblokes at blokebusters.com you can go to blokebusters.com and check us out there it's quite nice or you can go to podbros.com and look at us and all of the other shows in our network from there so, yes, getting straight into it then. Director's Cut. Uh, this film, which we will be discussing kind of most of and uh, trying not to get too spoilery in this episode, so don't worry about that. Uh, this film is weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a little weird. Uh, just and, a little? Just a little bit. Uh, and so... To kind of explain exactly how weird it is, I think it's best if we go back to the beginning, because a while ago, several years ago at this point, we had the director of this film come on and help sort of explain it and pitch it, because they were still in the middle of crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we should definitely start there. Uh, So this film was crowdfunded, with the exception of, I believe, the last 37,000. And uh, I'll explain that in a second. <clears throat> but, well, why don't... I was going to ask you, what what kind of drew you to this film? How did you first hear about it? The first I heard of it, believe it or not, was Twitter. Okay. I had been following Penn Jillette, who wrote and stars in the film, obviously. Mm-hmm. I've been following him for a while, tweeted, tweeted, traded some tweets back and forth, and one Sunday afternoon, I just saw a random tweet from him saying, if you want to be involved in this movie, here's where to go. And so I went to the crowdfunding site, looked at it, said, now here's a project I'd like to get involved in. <laughs> Having been in love with film and had my own false starts in filmmaking uh, over my entire lifetime, I said, okay, here's something I can get involved in and get behind and... Now here, several years later, I'm an associate producer of the film and and appear in it for about two seconds. And uh, <laughs> Mr. Rifkin, Adam, was kind enough to 
put me in his next film as well. And so, ah. yeah, it's wound up being a, a quite a bit of a, a late start into filmmaking, but I've got a bunch of scripts written now. <laughs> And uh, it's really got me off my backside. And it all started with just seeing a tweet from Penn Gillette. Yeah, that, that's kind of cool. Uh, I may I ask you a little bit more about that later. Certainly, by all means. It's, um, but uh, I'll, I'll answer my own question first. And uh, yeah, this, I first heard about this because Penn talked about it in his own podcast. Ah, yes. Uh, and uh, it. Uh, I'll be honest, it's been a little while since I've listened to that because my daily commute went from being 50 minutes to being 12. Uh-huh. So I, I kind of ran out of time to, to listen to a lot of these stuff. So yes, sadly, Sunday I, School I, podcast is a little bit longer than 12 minutes. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, um, I heard about it on there and then obviously he put it out. So I went to the website and... This film is kind of right up my alley. Uh, I have been a huge fan of meta humor for <laughs> longer than I knew what meta humor was. Uh, obviously, a big fan of Monty Python, and they always destroy the fourth wall. And, oh yes. Uh, also, there was a horror film which I felt kind of summed it up better than any of the say the scary movies or anything like that ever did which is something that I have championed on this podcast many times called Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. And it's a mockumentary where the main character is being interviewed by this documentary crew because he wants to be the next big serial killer. Like uh, uh, Freddy Krueger, Jason, uh, all of Mike Myers, they've all actually existed in this world and he wants to be the next one. Uh. And And it's playing a lot on the tropes of horror film like they show him having to do cardio every single day because he has to be right behind the people that are running away at all times <laughs> like it's i'll have to check that one out yeah I, I, as i said i heartily recommend it to pretty much anyone <laughs> uh yes it's really cool and so this film being just meta to the extreme as it were I was like, okay, yes, I can definitely get behind this. So uh, I put forward some money for it, and I mentioned it to my podcasting partner, Brian, and he put forward some money for it. And yes, we uh, we got it completely funded. And if I'm remembering rightly, that was in 2014. I believe so. Yeah. And so uh, it got made. And uh, if I got from a reputable source it actually only took about four weeks to do the principal photography correct correct yes and uh it then effectively sat on uh riskins and pens and the editor's computer for the next two years and then it got uh put into was it sundance well it did it did get edited fairly quickly but that's a lengthy process people always yeah. ask me why is it taking so long i said well you <laughs> if you've never sat in an editing bay you just can't understand what the editing process involves but it's yes. very time consuming very lengthy and you're essentially creating the movie in the editing bay yeah. so <laughs> that's by by far the longest part of the process uh. 
Oh, yeah. Well, not... <laughs> with the exception of getting someone to pay for it. Yes, uh, that... Um... But but that, it did get edited fairly quickly, and then yes, it was submitted to Slam Dance, not Sundance, but Slam Dance, it. which is I knew which I'd get is it wrong. <laughs> kind of the punk Sundance that occurs in the same place at the same time as Sundance every year. So it's easy to confuse the two. But it was the official opening night selection of Slam Dance 2016, I believe it was. Yes, that's right. Very well received. I didn't get to make it out there for it, but talked to yeah. several people. In fact, one of the people who's in the same scene I'm in, she attended, and we discussed uh, how well it went over at Slam Dance. And then, yeah, it sat around uh, <laughs> trying to find a distributor because it is, as you said, a weird film. And yes. <laughs> about a year ago, uh, I attended a, a film festival and got several people talking with Penn and Riff and Emily about possibly taking this, and, and it went nowhere. And finally, at the 11th hour, just as, as and I, I don't know if I'm allowed to, to say this, but there was a plan to self-distribute. I'll just leave it at that. Yes, I, just I think as they that's were, safe. <laughs> yeah, just as they were about to to finalize the arrangements to self-distribute, Dread Central came in and said, "We want to, we want this movie. We want to distribute it. We want to give it a home." And so, yeah, it's had a theatrical release now, and mm -hmm. uh, it's out on VOD right now. And on June 12th, I believe they'll be shipping the physical discs. Uh, for anyone who pre-orders or yeah yeah they yeah. they've got that available and uh, i will attempt to make sure that that's in any of the notes that are for this episode so that we can actually uh, get those out there um uh, now yeah this uh this was really kind of cool uh, again so this was crowdfunded which meant that everyone that donated money got updates that most people oh, yes. wouldn't get for the making of the film and I obviously won't go too much into any of those because those were specifically for the crowdfunders, but we were all effectively producers in the film, but obviously you were... Absolutely. Uh, you were a little bit more so, because uh, you well, donated a little bit I, more money. <laughs> but but we were, we were all we were all partners in crime on this, and we all got, got access. It was those hidden uh, YouTube videos that Emily was so good about sending out that uh, Adam would make on set or some of the others would make on set or during the editing and they really pulled out the curtain and let those of us who couldn't be there every day see what was going on and it was just amazing I've I've been in film and video effectively my entire adult life to some extent and okay. just some of the things that that Dan Flesher the editor was able to do just amazed me it was really cool to see. Uh, I, I'm someone that I fully admit one of the jobs that I would just love to do for the rest of my life would actually be film editor. The problem is I don't have any you know, actual job experience in that field. <laughs> and uh, at this point, I don't know if I'm going to get some. But uh, <laughs> like that, that type of thing is what I would just love to do. And uh, being able to see a few snippets of that was really fun. And like you said, towards the end, they were telling us about all of these things that were 
kind of coming together and then well the distributor didn't want this so we dropped it and stuff like that so yeah it was getting to the point they sent out an update that basically said we want you to get the film that you guys have paid for we don't want to be one of these crowdfunding things that it's like okay great we got the money bye uh, exactly and so they were like okay well we're working on getting the disc we'll get them out to you and then a week later we got an email saying yeah about that <laughs> <laughs> But it was good news. It was good news. All the the wonderful stuff that's happened. I mean, could you imagine back in late 2013, early 2014, when the money was being raised, that we'd have a theatrical premiere at the Chinese theater in Hollywood? Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. (laughs) And... Man, that was amazing. It it was in the same theater as Solo one night later. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just amazing to go to that. Yeah, that that, that must have been cool. I, I've never been there myself. I haven't been able to get to Hollywood. So, uh, yeah, I, I haven't been there. But uh, I have been to, uh, uh, to Disney in Florida. So I've technically been to the sort of makeshift um, theater that they got there which was a great movie ride but now they've changed it to something else so yeah yes i've been there in spirit but not Uh uh, not in actual physical body uh but yeah this uh this film uh and i think we should probably get into actually talking about it at this point because uh, i'm sure people that don't know what directors cut it are like what what are they talking about and yes this film is effectively a film that takes uh let's say you get a standard dvd and you watch a film and you decide hey i'm gonna listen to the director's commentary and so you watch the film again listening to the director talking about everything and maybe they talk about scenes that went differently or anything like that this film starts as if it already has the director's commentary on it although as the film goes on uh you know maybe about 10 seconds in you start to realize oh wait a second this isn't the director. This is someone who yeah, fancies yeah. themselves to be the director. And what's interesting about that is it didn't start out so obvious. If I don't know if you saw the original script, a lot of the people who said, nope, I just want to see the finished product. But in the original <laughs> script, it was a slow burn. The director's commentary started right off, but it was several minutes in, uh, maybe 20 minutes in before you started to get any kind of hint that maybe this wasn't really the director of the movie and maybe (laughs) this wasn't exactly the movie you thought you were seeing. And what Adam and Dan and uh, Rich Nathanson, uh, one of the uh, co-executive producers, or I'm sorry, one of the co-producers who was involved in the editing and and a lot of the rewrites, uh, what they discovered in putting the thing together was that the slow burn just doesn't work. It's great read, great on the page didn't work when you were watching it yeah and so by the time i got my time to go join them for editing they'd already recut it so that yeah you start from the get-go realizing this isn't really the director of the film we think we're seeing this is this is a fan edit i guess and we're hearing the commentary of the guy who did the fan edit yeah, it's um, it really is an interesting film that does something that I never heard of 
before. Which is exactly why no studio would touch it. Yeah, I, I believe it's one of those things that the comedian Christopher Titus, I, I believe it was, mm. he has a fantastic thing where he talks about uh, every single time when he was doing the show Titus, mm-hmm. every single time there was a new head that came in, they would sit down with him and say these words exactly, which was, hey, Chris, love the show. It's wonderful. Here's what you have to change. And it's like, that. yeah, I can see when Penn was talking about all of these uh, studios that he would go to and say, I want to make this film. And it, all of the responses were, that sounds fantastic. It's too smart for us. Like it's, it's Exactly. Just, yeah, th- this is a film that uh, it doesn't, it doesn't really give you a second to uh, kind of digest what's going on. You just either get what's going on or you don't. And uh, I, I really appreciate films like that. Films that don't think that they need to dumb it down a bit for you. And uh, I'm not trying to say that I think this film isn't accessible to everyone. I just think that uh, this film, maybe this film needs to come out with like a little... Uh, a little card right at the beginning that just says, just so you know, <laughs> it's going to get weird, roll with it, and then like start or something. So, yeah, and funny you should that. say that, because it kind of does. The, it starts after the, the studio, the studio slate for Dread Central, it starts with a bit of a, with just a card where our fan edit director, Penn's character, Herbert Blount, makes his statement that kind of clues you in that you're in for a little bit of a ride here. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, in the whole time that we were fundraising and making the film, waiting to make the film, that, that process was just excruciating even. But in that (laughs) whole process, people would ask me, so what's it about? And I found, you know, you can't really explain this in under three and a half minutes. No, <laughs> it's it's you can't sum it up in a log line. And yeah. Dread Central has has really whoever their copywriter is, has done a great job in in doing that. <laughs> but even then, you're not getting the full picture. You're getting you're getting just a, a hundred thousand foot view, I think. Yeah, no, I've been trying to think of a good way of describing what this film is. And the shortest that I've come up with is saying that this is a film where it's someone within the film has made a fan edit of a film that was being made in the film. And that makes no sense. But that <laughs> is effectively what happens. So it's it's kind of cool. And um, Yeah, and- you, you've got a, a, a good, solid B-movie murder thriller kind of thing going on. And that film supposedly is crowdfunded. And the biggest crowd funder decides he's going to take over. Yes. <laughs> and with, without spoiling what all he does to take over, he does take over. And so it becomes kind of this hybrid of the movie in the movie, that, which is entitled Knocked Off. That the movie in the movie is about a serial killer who's knocking off or, or copycatting all of the famous serial killers of the last century. Yeah. But it gets mashed up with all of this found footage that our fan edit director created himself in a variety of different ways. But what's amazing is 
in if you go back and you look at any found footage movie from Blair Witch Forward, there's always something that goes, eh, that's a false moment. That wouldn't be in the found footage. That's a setup. And I defy you. I have watched this movie. I won't go into why, but I have seen it more times than anybody except for the three people that were in the editing suite. I have seen it more than Penn Gillette. <laughs> and there is not, there is one shot that if you don't realize, okay, that's a digital zoom that would have been done in the editing, that's the only shot that might be considered a false moment. Everything in there is legit. And I told Adam Rifkin, you are a filmmaking ninja, man. This is this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'll admit, I've not seen a huge amount of Adam's films. I have seen Look, and uh, I've seen mm-hmm. a few of the films that he's written. Uh, I, I know he made, he wrote Mouse Hunt in a weekend. Yes, uh, yes. As, trying to make effectively the worst script he could and then he sold it for a million dollars so well done him <laughs> but yeah i um uh, i really enjoyed watching this and seeing some of the choices that were made and uh, it was so well done and there, uh, there was actually an article that i read about uh someone else kind of talking about this film and they brought up a fantastic point which is that Obviously, Herbert Blount is not a professional director, so he doesn't know not to include certain things, such as there is one point in it where you he includes footage that he himself has shot of putting hidden cameras in to explain that he was going to get a hidden camera yes. shot of the actress. And any director worth his salt knows that you don't need that. It's kind of implied. But he is not a director, so he doesn't know that, so it's in there. And it's just one of these fantastic little things where it's like, it just helps build this character by using something that is so amateur. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's really cool to see. Exactly. <laughs> and that was, that was one of the things that Penn has said many times, was one of the uh, driving forces. He's always been interested in this unreliable narrator. And so there are a lot of things as he's making his comments on the film where he throws out stuff that if you know anything about filmmaking it's just dead wrong and so when you see it if you know anything about making movies or if you've you know just watched a movie about movie making like state and maine or whatever you know (laughs) this guy doesn't know what he's talking about and yet it works and it's beautiful and what I've seen a handful, maybe three or four people who were disappointed. When when this was pitched, it was going to be an out-and-out horror film. It was going to be a gritty, dark horror film. And what happened was they had a series of of actresses attached to the film that for one reason or another had to drop out. The the first one, uh, I I don't know who I can say, so I'm not going to bother, but... But there was I, I a, say, I, I a size you dynamic, you know. The names. <laughs> yeah, uh, six foot five, six, seven, eight, whatever pen is compared to to uh, an actress who's you know very good, very well known, but she's five foot nothing. <laughs> you know that would have been an incredible dynamic, and she was all for it, and and everything was ready to go, and then she got a stalker. Oh. You know, life imitating art. 
And she said, yeah. you know, I'm and and Penn and Adam, they were like, no, we get it. I mean, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know that this would freak you out. We're not going there. And yeah. so it was things like that. They wound up rewriting the film just past the crowdfunding stage. I believe they wound up rewriting that film for 14 different actresses. Oh. But when Missy got involved, <laughs> it suddenly became a comedy. And Penn put it best, and I'm going to clean it up because I don't know what what you say on this podcast or not. Oh, no, no, don't don't bother cleaning anything up. Go with it. (laughs) Okay. Well, there was was a particular actress who's very known for risque, sensual roles, and she's kind of a a tough gal and and very beautiful, very sexy. And he said, before you fuck her, you you, got to hit her before you fuck her. You can't hit Missy before you fuck her. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's right. what changed. Yeah. So it became a comedy. Yeah, and a it, handful of people who were involved in the picture, who were involved in the crowdfunding, said, okay, I was looking for more of a horror film. This is a horror film wrapped up in a comedy, all hiding an honest-to-goodness love story. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, a slightly one-sided love story, but a love story nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, and... And not the love story you'd think. You have to let yourself see it, and you realize that Herbie is in love, and while he may be in love with Missy, there's a deeper love in there still, and he explains it at the very end. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's one of these films that it's kind of difficult, as we said, to just you know, explain quickly. So uh, no matter... No matter what else we talk about here, I, I'm going to say right now, anyone that is even remotely interested in your kind of meta humor and your smart filmmaking and you know, something that will just kind of keep you gripped and, like we said, unreliable narrators, always fun, like just please go and find this film. Uh, I understand it's a little difficult to find a film called Director's Cut, uh, just put the brackets 2018 in there. You'll find it somewhere. It's, it really is odd. Adam Rickon does seem to like directing or, films or, that make it very difficult to find when you're searching for it. Yes. Look. <laughs> director's cut. <laughs> exactly. Put in there Adam Rifkin or put in there Penn Gillette or put in there Missy Pyle. Yes. It, it is um, it, definitely a film that is a lot of fun to watch but does make you think and it has some great moments in it and uh, what I was going to ask you next is do you have I mean, you've seen it a lot so uh, do you have any yes. moments that every time you watch it you're looking forward to this scene or you're looking forward to this one line from this one person there are a few there, there's obviously my big scene two, well, two yes, seconds obviously. maybe <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah the longest speech in the whole movie is a character named Rudy Nelson, played by, of course, Teller, who never yeah. speaks on stage as himself nope. in anything to do with <laughs> Penn and Teller. But in this, he has the longest speech, and Penn wrote it that way. And he plays a guy that they bring in as a suspect. And there yeah. is the this one shot in the... Well, in the film within the film, but with Penn's commentary. 
And it wasn't until about the fifth time that I saw it that it even registered with me. Penn's character, Herbert Blount, is narrating. And we're saying it's too early in the film for this to be the killer. This isn't his movie. We know whose movie this is. And when when it finally registered with me, who was on screen when that line lands... I just, my jaw just dropped. How did I miss this? But yeah, I love that. I love the whole, uh, I don't want to spoil anything past the midpoint. Uh, I, I love, I love the resolution. I, I absolutely yeah. love the resolution of the, uh, the, the film. And, yeah, it, it, and it, uh, it is a wonderful And the opening. Oh my goodness. Okay, I I gotta tell you this story, and it's gonna get me. I hope my wife doesn't listen to this. Uh, the movie opens on the lovely backside of an adult film actress being taken in to be booked for prostitution. Blah blah blah. Right. When I went to edit uh, out in Hollywood, we spent the first ninety minutes or so. Looking at the current cut of the film, which then Dan had to burn to Blu-ray to send off uh, for Khan or Can or whatever they're however they're pronouncing it this year. But <laughs> while he was doing that, we got to talking about stuff, and then when we could get back into it, we spent the rest of the day, so like another ten hours, working on probably the first two minutes of the film. So you can imagine how many times I saw this one performer's backside. A fair amount. Flash forward. Yeah. Flash forward six months. I'm watching one of these mashup. I think it was the hungover games, which, you know, um, the hangover meets uh, the hunger games meets everything, you know, all the Marvel movies, blah, blah, blah. And there are a couple of adult film performers in that. I had seen the actress's face. I had seen her lovely bosom. When she jumped up on another character's, back and her backside was seen I, oh that's and i named the character the, the actress because i recognized her from her butt and uh yeah my wife was why do you know this <laughs> so yeah i said remember that day i went out to edit on director's cut and yeah so yeah there, there was one screen but, it was just that thing i just <laughs> burned into your retinas there <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. It, I n- never forget a bet. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of interesting because I've been I've been trying to think. Uh, I've I've only seen the film three times myself, uh, so I, I've been trying ah, to think of okay. some of the bits in it that have been things that I've enjoyed every time, or things that I've appreciated the second time or the third time I've watched it, and uh, I was gonna say i i did enjoy when teller was on screen and you hear herbert just saying this is a bit of an inside joke when right uh, when it's like you had the right to remain silent it's like okay i knowing penn and teller i really appreciated that line and it's kind of and the question i had then as well is how meta is that like is it is it two levels of meta or is it three? Because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's pen. I don't think there are enough. I it's... don't think you can count the level of metas. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like because it... w- even one of the 
one of the crowdfunding rewards they offered towards the end was for a fee, you can record your own director's commentary to go onto the DVD Blu-ray for director's cut. So, you know, a yes. whole nother <laughs> level of meta there. There And there's yeah, I was... uh, oh, another in-joke. I, I don't know if I should... should well, uh, we know Lynn Shea is in the film, right? She plays yes, Captain right Wheeler, the, the detective's mm-hmm. boss. And there's a joke in the... Uh, in Herbie's commentary that in most movies, the police captain is a frustrated black man. And well, that's an in joke too. You know, it's not just a, a, a tip that had Beverly Hills cop and, and, and all these other films. Yeah. My understanding is that originally cast in that role. And, and I've seen the, the cast breakdown. It was specified african-american male originally cast (laughs) in that role was one of penn's friends from celebrity apprentice uh arsenio hall and there was some kind of scheduling conflict or whatever and so riff brought in lynn shea to fill the role when arsenio couldn't do it and so (laughs) you know there's that end joke there that it was supposed to be arsenio but for whatever reason it, it could yeah you know, that kind of stuff happens all the time you something gets gets shifted and you know you lose this talent you lose that talent because yeah. of schedule conflicts so yeah especially when uh, as we said principal photography for this ended up only being four weeks so it's like you have a really short oh, window yes. and you can only do that window when you have like, the main actors and actresses set but before then, you've got to get everyone on board, not knowing who everyone's going to be yet. So, yeah, I can understand it being a, a huge, uh, Pam would appreciate it, juggling problem. Oh, just, you've got to yes. get all of this stuff working just right without dropping anything. And uh, I, I personally would say that this film, as far as I could see and my watches, I don't think this film really drops anything. Uh, I, I haven't... I haven't noticed anything that has been. Oh, okay. Now, I'd, like, I I think that could have been done better or anything like that. I I've been thoroughly enjoying it each time. So, uh, and you having seen the film a huge number of times has. And I know you don't <laughs> want to be critical of it or anything, but is there anything you've seen that, uh, like maybe you would be like, oh well, if I had been directing it, I would have made it two turns instead of three or something like that like <laughs> oh gosh no i i <laughs> i would never give pin or or adam a memo i would never yeah <laughs> there are some technical things that you see oh it's been said a bajillion times there's the movie you write there's the movie you film there's the movie you edit that is, you can't always yeah. film what's on the page. You make adjustments. And then you get into the editing room, and you don't necessarily have everything you need to do yeah. the film that was on the page or even the film you shot. So the the final result winds up looking different from the script. And there are a handful of things. There is, I hope they're in the outtakes, but there were a number of sequences that were movie homages uh, to things like Godfather and Rocky and whatnot that right. were supposed to be towards the end of Act Two, that they just, it, it's not working, we're going to do this instead. And, you know, I, I missed those things only because I saw them on the page and thought they were funny. But 
seeing the finished film, no, they didn't fit. They wouldn't have worked. It that was it wouldn't have been the film would not have rung true if they had gone that silly with it. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there's the first shot of Lynn Shade. There was a technical issue in that the the shot we really needed. Uh, there was a camera shake in it. It, it, it. Those things happen. And yeah. part of why we spent so much time in that first few minutes was trying to, okay, what have we got that we can do instead of this? And what they wound up doing was uh, whatever digital uh, effects house they used managed to find a way to clean that up so that it didn't look as bad as the raw footage did. They did right. some digital tricks to take out the shake. And, and so I see those kinds of things. But in terms of flaws in the film, no, no, my goodness. It's, no, yeah. It turned out <laughs> so much better than I expected. I expected yeah, it to be a, a the... funny, goofy, million-dollar film. And, oh, my goodness, the, the knocked-off portions look like it's a you know, $10 million David Fincher film. I mean, they really, yeah. really exceeded expectations in, in that part of it. Yeah, and uh, I, I was going to say there's uh, during that scene that you are talking about, there was one bit that I noticed when they do the him blowing the smoke and the camera goes through it, and it's, uh, yes. I, I would say that uh, the smoke, I'm ninety nine point nine percent certain the smoke is a digital effect, and uh, I'm it uh, is. now what you what you've been saying, it was like. Was that added to kind of slightly hide the the shake? Maybe I don't know. Or I mean, it's a cool transition anyway. With well, I think like, what oh, it maybe what episode. it was the vape pen that Harry Hamlin's character uses didn't put out that much vapor. It wasn't that right. visible. So yeah, they had to digitally enhance that to get the feel that they wanted, the the tone that they wanted. <laughs> and there's a funny story to go along with that too. Uh, Harry Hamlin Nobody. is one of the lead actors in this. He's uh, He plays the older of the two detectives. The, the other detective, Hayes MacArthur, people might know from Angie Tribeca, has been in Look, which Adam directed, uh, was in, yeah. trying to think of the, the name it was released under. Um, it was called Homo Erectus, but uh, National Lampoon gave it a different title. It's skipping my mind right now. Played Adam's older brother in that and that's where adam introduced hayes to his his wife Allie larder on that set but uh you know hayes is just a great actor the chemistry between them is great but harry hamlin had been practicing with some vape pen and had gotten comfortable with that and adam and and the producers were like well this is the company that's put some money into the film so that we can afford to make it. We need you to use this one. And, and right. Mr. Hamlin was a little reluctant, uh, but I've been practicing with this one. He said, well, let me put it this way. They've put more money into the film than we're paying you. And so if we have to choose between <laughs> the two and my understanding is Mr. Hamlin's response was, Hmm, let me see that pen. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, as it would be. Uh, okay. Would you put it that way? Would you, would you put it that way? So, but yeah, yeah the uh, the vape, most I would say probably seventy to eighty percent of the vapor, the smoke that we see is digital, and it looks so good. It does. It, it looks really cool, and uh, uh, I'm only saying that in terms of the visual effect 
to adding the smoke for the vape rather than the vaping itself because I have never understood the point of that and uh, <laughs> never having smoked I don't know uh, maybe it's uh, a good way of people getting out of smoking cigarettes and smoking something that is less harmful for you and I'm all for that but yeah <laughs> I think some people pick it up <laughs> ironically and uh, don't do I that think so <laughs> Speaking of digital effects, I don't know if you noticed, but there's only one scene in the film where the bullet hits aren't digital. Did you notice? Uh, I... could, could you tell that most of the bullet hits throughout the film were digital, not squibs? Uh, yes, yes, I, I would say, yeah, especially okay. during the, okay. uh, the, the clock tower scene. Um, yeah, that, I think that was when it was most obvious that it was not uh, practical. But I'm going to assume right. that it is the final shooting of the gun uh, without trying to give it away. That one, to me, felt the most real. Would, is that right, or is that wrong? The, the, the final shootout, you mean? Yeah, as in the, um, the, 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 the final combination the, of yeah. the film within the film. Yeah. Right. That's, that... Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yes! <laughs> Score one for me. Not that anyone's keeping track in any way, shape, <laughs> or form. <laughs> but the James Huberty Blumps Burger scene, all the bullet hits in that, were, they talk about it being squibs in the behind-the-scene footage that you see, but yeah. no squibs in that scene. It was all all digital. Yeah, yeah I, I do... It's like they're hunting humans. I can... <laughs> I, I believe there's not... Not enough emphasis on that one. It's like they're hunting humans. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, another it, line it, that that I always look forward to seeing. <laughs> it and it is. It's kind of like um, one fun thing I found in this film is that it's the same. If, if someone is able to play the piano really well, it is very difficult to then play it badly, and that's kind of what I feel with this film, it is very difficult to play acting badly well, <laughs> which it, you'd think it wouldn't be. You'd think it would be really easy to just act badly, but you've got to act badly in a way that is enjoyable to watch. So it's, uh, uh, I think that Penn did that fantastically anytime he was, you know, as Herbert on set running around doing his stuff or anything like that yeah absolutely and it it's kind of it this film has been really interesting for me to try and think of how to talk about it because i as i've said i don't want to spoil it because i want people to be able to go and see it and not know too much about it but then that does limit you very much to what you have to talk about but uh with this film i think that so much of the enjoyment comes from just listening to Herbert talking about stuff and seeing what he's chosen to splice in and yeah it's um I, I do think one of my one of my favorite bits in the film aside from actually hearing Gilbert Gottfried's real speaking voice which is mm-hmm. which was I think the biggest shocker for me in this entire film was that Gilbert Gottfried talks and it's like oh he's not putting on his voice as much as he normally does for this. So that was, uh, that was really cool to hear. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was just the, exactly in that scene where Herbert is like, oh, this is the best shot. And they left it out 
like the best shot of this scene and it it's an outtake of missy as yeah, just kind mm-hmm. of reading a book and for whatever reason that i find that really funny is that it's just like oh here it is it's, yes, just, yes. it's just her reading a book not interested in the slightest like it's uh, one of the best juxtapositions, I think, of uh, uh, in the entire film is Absolutely. polished film to bad cut. Uh, yeah, I uh, and the I, time code. I, yes, <laughs> the good old time code. I, I've seen. Um, I, I've been lucky enough at the the company I work for now. I was the product design and development coordinator for them for a year, so I did get to do some editing. Uh, and I have seen a fair amount of time code because I had to record 40 hours of training video and then edit it. So I was sat in that editing bay uh. myself, just going through and just watching time code after time code after time code. And I, yeah, I had to intersplice all this other stuff that, that went into it. So it was, uh, and I happen to know now because I'm still with the company, just in a different position. I happen to know that all of that work is now pointless because they moved to something else. So it was yay, lots, lots of <laughs> lots of sitting around being paid to edit this and like, well, no, throw it in the bin. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, uh it's so it, I I don't know what else to say about this film. It is just so fun to watch this film. Especially coming from, I did film studies at university, so I, I have a, a basic understanding of general film structure and how you make a film, and I've seen all the behind-the-scenes stuff of all the DVDs I've owned, and I enjoy listening to directors and actors talking about all of this stuff, and then to see this film come out where the sort of the joke is that it's a complete amateur getting all this footage and making his yes. own version of the film and it's just it's so fun to see that as someone that appreciates film so yeah yes. I, I i i really i really have enjoyed it and um i i think the last question that i had that i wanted to to ask you and i think i know the answer at this point but i wanted to make sure i asked it do you feel that it has been worse the four-year wait for this film. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I figured that would be and your answer. It's only been a four-year wait for people like you and me. It's been yeah. 14 years for Pendulette. We were <laughs> in the waiting-to-film stage of the process. I remember when yeah. it was a... I can't remember what holiday it was, but an update came out over a holiday and Penn said it was 10 years ago this holiday that I sat down and started writing the first draft of what was then called director's commentary. And so it was nine years before he and Adam took it to the community to fund, to crowdfund the film. And, you know, it's been 14 years overall. But yeah, yeah I, and, uh, I absolutely think it's been worth the wait. What about you? Do you? Do you think it's oh, been yeah, worth the definitely, wait? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that you you put the money towards it, and really all you can do is hope that it's going to happen. And as right. as much as you, know, you, you hear all of the promises and stuff, like Penn did say that if this film gets fully funded, everyone will get 
the film. Like he said he will sink his own money into it to make sure that everyone that fully funds the film will receive the film, no matter what actually happens yes, to it afterwards. Yes, <laughs> and and I know he was. They were days from pulling the trigger on that. He he <laughs> did reach into his own pocket to to do some last minute stuff, and the production of the discs was going to be out of his pocket if my understanding is correct but yeah they held and oh my goodness shout out to to his wife emily emily gillette the uh, all the work that she's done over the last four or five years there were there were what 5200 different donor packages sold in the crowdfunding that now some people bought multiple packages (laughs) Uh, it was right. it was somewhere close to five thousand different people who put money in, and she coordinated fulfilling the rewards for all of them. And they're in the last stages of doing that now, shipping out the DVDs and all the the ancillary goodies that go with the, the posters and the the things of that nature that that were promised. They got the the T-shirts out early. And very early, yeah. And she's been the yeah, she's been the one that's that's handled all that. And I know, I know she had to be working at least eighty hours a week for the first year or so doing that, and I, far more effort than two or three people should have been tasked to do it. And she pulled it off, and so yeah, uh, yeah, it's been, and, it's been and really cool. With I... one exception, I think everybody's been happy. Ah, okay. And uh, I might ask you about that uh, when we start recording, then, because that sounds like an interesting story. Um, so, oh, I, don't, I, yeah, I just I... know that, that, that at, somebody got unhappy before the films went into to principal photography, and so they, they gave him his money back. Oh. Yeah. Well. I don't know who uh, it was or, uh, or about what he was unhappy, but, but they said, you know, hey, if you're yeah. not happy... Yeah, I've been more than, yeah. And uh, shout out to uh, Peter Golden and Glenn Ally. Uh, Peter, I, I met on the set and oh my goodness, just the antithesis of the the arrogant Hollywood producer. I mean, he was the nicest guy, <laughs> uh, the nicest Hollywood producer I've ever met. That's for sure. Uh, and, well, cool. Uh, you know, took care of everybody, took care of everybody who was there. And of course, you know, Pan was amazing. Missy was amazing. <laughs> I said one sentence to Hayes MacArthur on set in September of 2014, and when I saw him at the premiere a few weeks ago, he remembered me and what I'd said. I mean, the, the oh, people involved cool. in this were just amazing. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. Yeah, I I wish I could have been more involved, but. Uh... Time, money, and availability were not there. So, sadly, I was not able oh, yeah. to be. But, uh, yes, I'm very much looking forward to my Blu-ray and poster. When, when those get here, I just got to figure out where to put the poster. Because, uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, I guess space is another thing I'm a bit lacking on. But, uh, yeah, I will, I will get that up here somewhere. Um yeah, I, well, if there's one other thing I want to talk about is Dread Central, man, coming in and pulling this off. And they're still talking about taking a day or two of additional filming and finishing Knocked Off, the movie in the movie, as possibly a standalone movie in and of itself. 
So I mean, they definitely could. Um, that yeah. I mean, if you consider like Sharknado, what six is out there? Like, there's <laughs> so much stuff like that out there. You could definitely make this, and it would be just that right level of cheese. Yeah, like, just, just based on what you see, there's there's enough there to keep you interested, even though it's effectively the same story you've seen over and over. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I I would be happy to see that. So maybe they could uh, you know, retroactively add that into the crowdfunders. I don't know, just saying. Uh, probably not, but there know. you go. <laughs> there, there might be a, a abbreviated version of it on the DVD. You never know. Yeah. But... I certainly, certainly hope that one day we get to see Knocked Off as a finished film. Yeah, maybe that'll go to the to the man theater as well. <laughs> you can have two two releases out of the same film. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, it's been it's been great having you on to talk about this. So, yeah. well, thank you for having me. Oh, that's I good. really appreciate the opportunity to talk about one of my favorite film projects. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I'm sorry that uh, Brian couldn't be here. Unfortunately, uh, it uh, didn't work out timing-wise. But uh, I understand. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, I, I'm not necessarily done with this film yet. Uh, I will uh, expand on that further down the line, if possible. But uh, yeah, uh, hopefully, <laughs> watch this space. If not, then completely ignore what I'm saying right now. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, I know a lot of people do anyway, but you know, whatever. Uh, uh, one, once again, thanks for coming on, good sir. And uh, it, oh, my pleasure. If uh, if anyone wanted to get a hold of you uh, through, let's say, social media, how would they go about that? Uh, at real Bob Lawler on Twitter. Or they can uh, look for at Uncle Bob's Picks, P-I-X, on Twitter. All right. Yes. Uh, a, a double double handle there. I like it. Uh, and uh, uh, if you want to get a hold of us, like I said at the beginning, uh, just search Blockbusters on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Vero. I know most people are going, what the hell is that? It is a new social media. It's slowly building up steam. I figured what... Why not check it out? So we are on there in a limited capacity. But there you go. Uh, or, as I said, you can email us at theblokes at blokebusters.com or you know, check out our website. It's a, it's a nice little area of the internet there. So right, with, uh, with all of that being said, uh, I've been Paul and he's been Bob. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. Uh... Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Brian here with a quick lesson in theater etiquette. We don't need to hear your comments after every single trailer.